morning. Everybody doing okay? Good? Good. All right. Um, I hope you're doing the fast with us. I don't know if you're doing, if you're new to the church, every year at the beginning of the year, we do a 40-day fast, and we're about a weekend, which is about the time you realize how few good Christian movies exist, and, um, and uh, it becomes problematic after about week, week one. What am I going to watch? So uh, anyways, I shouldn't have, shouldn't have opened up with that if you're, if you're new. That was probably offensive. You probably already don't like me, and we've just started. Uh, I'm sorry about that. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians. Again, if you're new, what we do is we go through whole books of the Bible, and this particular book of the Bible is uh, extremely relevant. Now, I believe the whole Bible is relevant. Every word is here for a reason. 1 Corinthians is extremely pertinent, uh, especially because of the time we live in and where we live in the Western world. It is, it is very, very interesting. This book of the Bible is a letter written from a man named Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. And this was written to a church in southern Greece, not far away from where Athens is currently. And what makes it so relevant is the nature of the letter, the reason why he wrote it. It was written to a group of people who claimed to be Christians. They knew God. They knew the word of God. They had been instructed and led well by good leadership, Paul being one of those people who actually founded the church in this area. The problem was, is the people in Corinth had stopped focusing on the word of God, the truth of God, the instruction of godly leaders, and they became enamored with their culture. They started depending more on what Paul calls humanly wisdom, human wisdom, humanly, worldly wisdom, human wisdom, more of a focus on that and less of a focus on the wisdom of God. And because of that, a slew of problems started happening, right? We learn in chapter one, the first problem we hear of is that there was division in the church, that the church started dividing into factions and this church down the road started thinking they were superior to this church down the road and they started squabbling over minor issues and the church started to become broken because the focus was less on the word of God and more on the culture of their time and the wisdom of their time, right? It was the first problem we encounter. Um, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago not last weekend because we didn't have a service here for the 11. Um, hope you watched the vision service, by the way, online. If you haven't, please go back and watch that. But what we talked a couple of weeks ago when we finished chapter one is we talked about that if we, if we make it about God, right? If it's less about us and more about God, there is this beautiful irony in Christianity. This beautiful irony in Christianity is the more we make it about Jesus, the more Jesus makes it about us. It's a very fascinating thing, right? So the less we become, the more we are blessed by God. And so we learned a couple of weeks ago that we can live in confidence and we can live in security if we make life not about us. It's a very interesting thing, right? We live in a time right now that we very much act and respond out of insecurity. That's why social media is such a big deal. That's why we have such an addiction to affirmation and fame and fortune and all these things is because there's this insecurity because we don't know who we are right? Because we've moved away from our identity in Christ. So we live out of insecurity, most people in our culture right now. But we can live in security and in confidence if we know who we are in Christ, if we make it about him. Here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do chapter two. We're going to talk about and ask the question, if we have the mind of Christ, do we have the mind of Christ? And I'll explain what that means towards the end of this lesson. It's a very, very fascinating chapter. Look, I'm going to warn you, I'm going to be redundant this morning. I'm going to say the same thing 
several different ways, several different times. I'm gonna do that because Paul kind of writes this chapter with a little bit of redundancy. And sometimes we need redundancy because uh, as humans, we don't get it the first time often, right? So I'll be a little redundant this morning, but we're gonna finish with this idea of do we have the mind of Christ? So when you walked in, you should have got uh, a handout. Everything will be on the screens. If you have a Bible, we're in the New Testament, right after the book of Romans, you have the book of 1 Corinthians, okay? That's where we are, and I don't know if I've already mentioned it. If you have the app on your smartphone, click on sermon notes, and you got everything. You got all the scripture, all the notes right there on your phone, okay? Very, very convenient, all right? Okay, does anyone else just cannot get warm this time of year? Uh, that's why I'm wearing my Mr. Rogers cardigan this morning. Um, it's not a pullover, cardigan, right? Dumb and dumber, but because um, I just can't seem to get warm. When it's 12 degrees at night, I just feel like my feet are always cold, and anyways, I'm struggling. So, okay, I'm gonna pray. We'll jump into this, and um, I think you'll find it intriguing, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for everyone in this room this morning. Lord, thank you, God, that we have the freedom and the liberty and, and the opportunity, God, to come in here to worship you the way we want and to read your, your Bible, God, your word. And Lord, we pray that you just bless us this morning. Keep your hand on us this morning. We don't just pray for our church, though, Father. We pray for every church in our city. We pray for all of our other campuses and the churches in those cities. We pray for our great nonprofits that we partner with, like Renewed Life Ministries. God, that you would bless them, Lord. And I pray that we are generous and, and we help them and partner with them. And God, I just pray that all of our study this morning, Lord, that it honors you, that it brings us closer to you, that, it, that we learn more about you, God, that we can live in a way that honors you more, God. We love you. We thank you. Pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm gonna read a little bit. We'll go back and break it down. Um, I'll do it to the best of my abilities. CSX is ready. They, they honk the horn every Sunday morning, just letting us know. So I'll read a little bit and we'll go back and, and break it down. All right, okay, now we're gonna read a little bit and break it down. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. So in chapter one, Paul did this, but Paul reminds the church again that the mystery of God that he was delivering, the word of God, was not through brilliance of speech, it wasn't through his wisdom. Simply put, Paul is saying, I'm gonna let God's word do all the talking. I don't have to add anything to it. I don't have to take anything away. I don't have to make it culturally relevant. I don't have to conform to what is popular. I'm just going to deliver the word of God to you. The reason why Paul did this is because God's word doesn't need our help. It doesn't need our editing. In fact, the last thing in God's word, John writes in the book of Revelation, don't add anything to this. Don't take anything away from this. God is greater than us. He's written the word exactly the way he wants it to be written out, and we're not to add anything to it. Paul understood this, so he did not add persuasive speech or rhetoric. He didn't try to win an argument. He didn't try to be ultra charismatic and cool and flashy and all those things. That's not what he wanted to do. The reason why he was careful to avoid that 
was he didn't want people to hear him and be attracted to him more than they were what he was trying to say. Now, we mess this up a lot in American culture and Christianity, right? On two different things, okay? In two different levels, two sides of this coin. We have made the mistake of thinking that Christianity is about us, and it's not about us. We're called Christians because we follow Christ, not because Christ follows us. It's not about us. So when we come in here and worship, it's about him. When we study the word of God, it's so we can know him better. Now, again, I said there's a beautiful irony with Christianity that the more we make it about him, the less it's about us and the more we magnify God in our lives, we're more blessed because of it. But on two sides of the coin, we've made this mistake. In American Christian culture, we've made it about the cult of personalities, right? You have all these different charismatic speakers that wear fancy shoes and perfect teeth, and I don't have anything against shoes or teeth, but like, it's all about these people, right? And, and it's, it's, it's this charismatic rhetoric. And we tend to make a, more of a focus on the person and the word that they, than, than we are about the word of God that they should be delivering. So we need to be careful as people who deliver the word of God to make it less about us and more about the word and more about God. Now, that's one side of it. The other side is, is that the congregation has also made it about them. It's about my blessings, what I can get. It's about, it's, we become consumers as Christians. And that is antithetical to the ways of Jesus Christ. And so shame on pastors who get undue credit, shame on congregations that make following Jesus really about all they can get out of it. Both are wrong, and we need to be very, very careful about that. It's about Jesus. We also have a tendency to overcomplicate a very, very simple message. The, the simple truth of the Bible is this. If you've never heard this, this is good news, right? The gospel. It's that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for you, to redeem us of our sins, to reconcile us with our creator, right? It's very, very simple. But when we make it about us, Paul says in, in chapter one of 1 Corinthians, when we make it about our persuasive speech and our rhetoric and how cool we are, we rob the cross of its power. We rob the cross of its effect, Paul says, because we use things that, that elevate us instead of elevating Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. There are complex things in this book, right? The Trinity of God is a complex thing that I don't know if we'll ever have figured out on this side of heaven or the other side of heaven. But when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the standards by how we are to live, they are very, very, very simple things. And we have a tendency to kind of convolute what God meant to be very, very simple instructions. So human wisdom, Paul makes the argument, Human wisdom always implodes on itself, but the powerful and practical teachings of the word of God stand as evidence of God's power. So what Paul says, he says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. I just came to you as a demonstration of the power of God's spirit. That demonstration is because Paul displayed the fruit of the spirit. If you've never heard of that before, it's in Galatians chapter five, things like love and peace and self-control, that he displayed these things. That's a demonstration of the power of God in Paul's life and in our lives. So here's the thing. We don't have to go out and win arguments. We don't have to use persuasive speech. We don't have to be charismatic and dance around things. And we don't have to do that. We don't have to get on Facebook and win arguments and all this. 
we need to just simply live out our salvation. Now, part of that is speaking the gospel, which Paul does. But Paul comes up and says, look, I'm not trying to trick you. I just wanna show you because Paul was once upon a time a murderer, a terrible person, an enemy of Christians and of God. And so Paul walks up and goes, look, I don't have to give you a bunch of fancy words. I used to be a dirt bag. Now I'm not a dirt bag because the power of God. And I get to deliver to you the good news because God is working in my life. That's how we need to live, that demonstration of power, okay? Now, this truth that Paul speaks about is not hidden, and we're gonna talk about that. We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by God. So this sounds confusing, but it's not. It's quite simple. Paul, when he says there is a wisdom among the mature, well, who are the mature? The mature are the ones who are looking for the truth. They are seeking out the truth of who God is and who we are in God as his creation. Now, Paul says the rulers of this age didn't have this kind of wisdom. They didn't look for this kind of wisdom. So here's the thing, all of us in this room, all humans that have ever existed, all of us in this room, we are gonna go down one of two paths. We have two choices. We are either going to pursue ourself, which means what we want, our desires, and our manufactured truths. What do I mean by that? I'm gonna tell you a phrase that I absolutely hate. It's my truth. Well, there's not multiple truths, there's only one truth. Truth to you is irrelevant to me, right? You're not the creator of all things. I care about the creator's truth. That's the only truth. So whenever I hear people say, well, it's truth to me, I don't care, I'm not trying to be rude, but there's not multiple truths, right? So choice number one is what I want and what is my truth. That is our first choice. The second choice that Paul talks about, so worldly wisdom, the second choice that Paul talks about is pursuing the creator and what his truth is. The architect of all things, the creator of all things, what is his truth, which is the real truth. And it is a mature person that seeks out the creator's truth. So when we seek out our truth though, the Bible makes it very, very clear. Our truths and our desires, our wisdom will, will come to an abrupt end. Paul says the rulers of this era didn't know the truth. Now who are the rulers? In our day and age, this can be anyone with influence. 
anyone with affluence, that's money, anyone with power. So that can be politicians, that can be greedy CEOs, that can be social media influencers, or quite frankly, guys, that can be just you and I. Whenever we try to do things our way, right? Whenever we try to take it upon ourselves to take the reins of our life and everything is about us, we are trying to rule ourselves. And the Bible makes it very, very clear from the front of the Bible all the way from Genesis chapter three, all the way to the end of the Bible, that our success, our path, what we wanna do is going to come to an abrupt end. In fact, when we talk about the success of the world coming to an abrupt end, when you get to the end of the Bible, the rulers of this world are gonna be hiding under rocks, begging for death. And it says that death will escape them, right? It's all going to come to an end. This life is temporary. And we often forget just how temporary it all is. So Paul says there's this path of the world's wisdom and that's gonna to come to an end. And then he says, on the contrary, there's another choice. Paul says, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery that God predestined. He knew all this was going to happen long before we even existed, before our age even existed. So what is the hidden wisdom? What is that? The hidden wisdom actually isn't hidden anymore at all. The hidden wisdom is the teachings and the principles of Jesus that we find through this book. That is the hidden wisdom of God. What is the mystery of God? The mystery of God is Jesus. So there was, if humanity ever had questions, what is wisdom? What is knowledge? What is the mystery of God? God gave his only son to answer all of these questions, to be the perfect example of how we are to live, how we are to respond, how we are to think, how we are to speak, how we are to act, how we are to conduct ourselves in a way that honors our creator. And when God gave us Jesus, right? Jesus has always existed, but I'm saying the 33 years where he was flesh and bone on earth, his life completely contradicted all of the wisdom of the world. The world says it's all about how much you can gain and how much you can get and how much you can accumulate for yourself. And Jesus came as a, as a very poor man that worked a, a very blue collar job until he went into ministry. And his whole thing was about the kingdom of God and serving other people. It was completely contradictory to the wisdom of this world. It was on the contrary. So if the teachings of Jesus are the hidden uh, uh, wisdom, if Jesus is the mystery of God, how do we know these things? Well, that's simple. The knowledge of truth and God is only revealed to those who are humble enough to accept it. Those of us that are humble and wanting to look for it, it's not hidden at all. It's actually black and white, crystal clear. But we have to be humble. And then when we find the truth, we have to be willing to accept it. And when Paul says none of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom, it's not because they weren't capable of knowing the wisdom, it's because they refused to look for anything bigger than themselves. Literally, Paul was talking about the Roman Empire. By this time, the Roman Empire looked at the Caesar as a God on earth. Well, why would you pursue the truth of God when you think that you are God? And so in America, in 2022, we look at that and we're like, well, that's audacious. But we have a whole culture that is bought into the original sin in Genesis chapter three, where we think that we are all gods, that there's nothing above us. 
We can create our own truths. We can create our own realities. No one can tell us what to do. We have taken on the position of God of our own lives. We have done this. So Jesus and the word are a revelation. It's not a concealment. God is not trying to hide the truth or the wisdom that he contains. He's trying to reveal it to us, but it is completely, in, we, are, we are completely incapable of seeing it if we are not humble enough to look for it and to search for it. I get a kick out of people, especially when I teach the book of Revelation. That usually brings all the interesting people to the surface when I get into those <laughs> apocalyptic type books like Daniel and Revelation. That, that's when I get the most interesting emails. And so people will say things like, well, Corey, I heard if you take every 13th letter, add it together, multiply it by seven, blah, blah, blah. You know, the Antichrist is Bill Gates. Yeah, that's what it says. And so, <laughs> which is dumb, right? And so when people do stuff like that, they think that the Bible is trying to hide something from you. The Bible was not given to us to hide information. The Bible was given us to reveal information to us. In fact, the word apocalypto, where we get the word apocalypse, apocalyptic books like Revelation and Daniel, that word literally means in unveiling. I am showing you things, not hiding things from you. The trick is though, are we humble enough and diligent enough to look for those things? So when we look for those things, our natural means cannot find the supernatural. So Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 64. When he tells the Corinthians, he says, it's not what eyes see or ears hear or what even our heart, our emotions can conceive of. Basically, if you want to find out about spiritual things, we have to desire to go on a spiritual journey. You cannot necessarily use natural things to discover supernatural things. We have to position ourselves, open heart, open mind, to be able to receive things that we may not be able to see. We may not be able to hear audibly, right? And our feelings may even contradict the truths that God wants to show us. Listen, if you're in this room this morning and you're a stone-cold atheist or you're an agnostic, but if you will position yourself to be open-minded, if you'll position yourself to be open-hearted, if you will genuinely seek out the truth because you, you want to know what it is, I think God will reveal himself to you. The book of James even says that. For those who seek, they will find. My wife, who was a biochemist and a very staunch atheist once upon a time, she was open-hearted and open-minded and God revealed himself to her. And I was an agnostic when I was 22 years old before I got saved. And same thing, God revealed himself to, to, to me first and my wife about six months later but we have to posture ourselves to receive those frequencies, those wavelengths, right? And so what's interesting is this. Paul also says that nothing is hidden from the Spirit of God. Now, if you've never heard this before, God is a trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, three persons that make up one God. One third of that is the Holy Spirit. Not only does the Holy Spirit know everything about us, the Holy Spirit knows everything about God because he is God. So here's what's interesting. When we become believers, we become recipients of the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens when we become believers. When we become believers, followers of Jesus, there is this connection from us to the creator God, right? We are connected by this Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit knows everything about us, every fault, every failure, every thought. That's a very sobering thing to think about, isn't it? Everything we've ever done, everything we will ever do, the Holy Spirit knows everything about us. But it says, Paul says, the Holy Spirit also knows everything about God. And because we are connected, 
we are then opened up, this channel is opened up for us to receive the things of God through the Holy Spirit. So the first thing is we are incapable of escaping God's eyes. Again, sobering thought. The other side though, is when we are connected by the Holy Spirit, he reveals the truth to us. He gives us guidance, counsel. He produces the fruit of the Spirit from us, peace and patience and joy and love and long-suffering, all these things. And he also administers the gifts of the Holy Spirit to us. We're gonna talk about two of those today, but we'll really get into it in a couple of months from now when we're in chapters 12 through 14. And this is all free. <laughs> it's freely given to us if, here's my redundancy, if we are humble and willing to submit. The hidden wisdom of God is free. The, the, a relationship with our creator is free. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit is free if we are willing to follow, if we are willing to be humble. Now, the older I get, I'm 42 right now, but the older I get, the more I realize that humility is the key that turns everything on, everything. And humility comes from an understanding of knowing that we are incapable without God's help. Incapable of what? Incapable of anything good. You're incapable of being a good spouse without the Holy Spirit. You're incapable of being a good parent without the Holy Spirit. You're incapable of being a good citizen without the Holy Spirit, both of this kingdom and of the one that we're gonna be in forever. We're incapable of all kinds of things without God's help. So we have to be humble and understand his ways are better than our ways, that he loves us, that he wants what's best for us, even if we don't think it's what's best for us, and that he wants us to be with him for eternity. We have to humble ourselves, submit to him, and we will have the things of God. But it starts with humility, and it starts with a desire, okay? Last part. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate everything and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone. For who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the wisdom of God and his word are only available to people who desire to look for it. Again, maybe the third or fourth time I've said that. Truth cannot be discovered by human wisdom. It has to be taught by the Spirit Paul says that, that spiritual people will receive spiritual knowledge, right? A spiritual education. That simply means, and again, I think this is the second time or third time I've said this, we have to choose to go on a spiritual journey. We have to choose to think outside, right, of the box of our own eyes, our own ears, and our own feelings. We must choose to be spiritual people in order to understand spiritual things, supernatural things. And again, without the Spirit, we are incapable of this. Verse 14 makes it clear that the word and the ways of God are not received or understood by people that refuse to pursue truth. 
to people who refuse to pursue God and the truth, that Bible looks like ridiculousness. It looks like foolishness. But if we have open hearts, I'm, again, I'm speaking to those of you in the crowd or who may be watching right now, if you are not a believer, if you're an atheist, but you have an open heart and an open mind, if you keep looking for truth, you're eventually gonna cross this book's path and eventually God's gonna reveal himself to you. I believe it. This is how salvation begins. Long before we're baptized or accept Christ as our savior or repent for our sins, it is grabbing that, that shovel, right? And digging for the bigger answers, asking the harder questions. Where did we come from? Why, what, what is the meaning of this life? What is the purpose of our existence, right? It is asking these things. And it is only by starting that, that ball rolling of asking these provocative questions that salvation does come along and the teachings and the commands of the Bible are illuminated and they make sense in our life. Now listen, that's not to say that this book doesn't have universal truths. There's a ton of universal truths in this book. What I mean by that is there are truths in this book that whether you're a believer or a non-believer, you can get behind. Uh, like, you know, do not kill people. Unless you're a homicidal maniac, all of us believe that it's bad to kill people. You can be an atheist, a Buddhist, uh, whatever you wanna be, and, and we all think it's bad to kill people. Not to steal from people, universal truth. Treat others as you wanna be treated. That is basically taught in virtually every major religion on earth. That is a universal truth. Here's the thing though, all truth is God's truth. It belongs to him. Doesn't matter who it's spoken by or what book it's in, there are truths that come from this that permeate all people. But the deeper things of God cannot be understood unless the Spirit of God is in us. The reason why is if we live contradictory to what this book says, we cannot understand the knowledge that it offers us. And so some of you in this room, when you first got saved, you probably picked up a Bible and started reading it, and maybe before you were saved, this all seemed like a jumbled mess, but now that the Holy Spirit is in us, the, the, the words kind of jump off the page, right? It is so clear. It makes so much sense because it is only through God's Spirit that we're able to discern. That's a good word. Discern is a good word, one that we need to use and exercise more often, discernment. It is only by the Spirit of God that we have the gift of discernment. It is only by the Spirit of God that we have true wisdom. These are free gifts of the Spirit given to those that believe. But if we do not have the Spirit in us, there are things in here that to the believer make so much sense, but to the non-believer seem foolish. Things like monogamy, right? To the world, they would say, what the heck, you know? If it's consensual between two adults, who cares if people just have sex with each other, right? Everyone's okay with it, it doesn't hurt anyone. Why is this a problem? To those that have the Holy Spirit of God in you, right? You understand the greater implications of promiscuity. And so you read the Bible and it says that you should be together, one man, one woman exclusively, for life after marriage, right? That's when you can start having sex as much as you want. That's fine, but it has to be within that channel. And so to the believer, okay, that makes good sense, right? To the non-believer, they just think that's foolishness. It's crazy. And that's just one of a million different examples. But it has to have the Holy Spirit in us to be able to discern, to use that wisdom. Paul also says, the spiritual person can evaluate everything, yet they cannot be evaluated by anyone. This is not a license for us to go out and be like judgmental jerks to the world around us. That's not what this is talking about. What this, ta what this is talking about is this. 
Because we not only have the Holy Spirit of God that leads us and convicts us when we're wrong, we have the Word of God that clearly outlines what God, God's expectations on how we are to live should be. We have it right here. So because we know of God's standards, we can evaluate everything that goes on around us and not be judgmental, but use good judgment. Do you know the Bible tells you to make judgments? Do you guys know that? Number people say, well, we can't judge. Yes, by righteous judgment, you can. I can look at you if you're cheating on your wife and I can say that's a sin and that will eternally separate you from Jesus if you don't repent for it. I can say that, not because I'm a judgmental jerk, but because the word of God says that multiple times, right? And so I can look at that situation and make a judgment that that is unrighteous. I can evaluate that because of God's standards. And then when it says that I cannot be evaluated by anything, it means that when I say that you need to be in this relationship exclusively with your wife and not cheat on her and not do these things, if someone returns that with, well, you're a small-minded bigot, I do not have to be offended by that because they live at a less moral standard than what God's standard is. Listen, what that means, Christians, is you don't have to be offended every time someone disagrees with you. Hold on. That means that we don't, have to, we don't have to find offense by the world's evaluation of us. We can evaluate that these things are evil, but they don't have the right to evaluate us back. That doesn't mean they're less than us. It means they do not know the standard that you have been taught. So we don't have to walk around being offended by everything. We cannot expect non-believers to act like believers. That's why you don't have to boycott Disney, guys. It's not a Christian company. And by the way, you're missing out. It's the happiest place on earth. So like... <laughs> You don't have to hate everything Disney because they're not making Christian films. They're not a Christian company. Just teach your kids what is right and they will be able to discern, okay, that's not okay, but this is a pretty funny movie, right? We can evaluate all things and we don't have to be stressed and offended every time there's a false evaluation given back to us. Because we submit to a higher wisdom than the world, we cannot be evaluated by the broken standards of that world. Don't worry about it. Now that's the good side, the bad side is this. Because you are, if you claim to be a Christian who has access to the knowledge and hidden wisdom of God, you are now obligated to live by that wisdom. Because we are knowledgeable of the standards and wisdom of God, we must live in a way that honors that standard. Listen, hey, try not to get brains on the person next to you when your head explodes when I say this, but here it comes. If one calls themselves a Christian, they are held into account to live in the ways of Christ. This is pretty simple stuff, guys. Well, listen, kindergartners get this. Most Christian adults don't get it, right? <laughs> hey, I've been saved by grace so I can do whatever I want, not according to this book, right? In fact, Paul says, nope, that's not the way it works. We must understand this. Listen, if we call ourselves Christians but fail to live by the truth of that book, not only do we deserve judgment by God for that, because the Bible says to know what is right and to not do it is wrong, and we will be held accountable for that. Not only that, we deserve the harshest criticism that this world can give us. When they call us all hypocrites, because we have the big ichthus on the back of our car, that's the, the fish that you guys have, ichthus is Greek for fish. When you have the big ichthus on the back of your car and you go to the office and gossip and talk bad about people and you're lazy, they have every right to call you a hypocrite because you are saying one thing and you are living out another. And we deserve that criticism. When we not only have the knowledge of what is right, 
but the power by the Holy Spirit to live it out, we deserve what we get when we do not apply it to our lives, when we fail to live by it, okay? Well, they call us hypocrites. Well, we need to stop acting like that, right? We need to change. And so Paul does something very, very interesting at the end of this, this chapter. Paul is a very, he says he doesn't bring eloquent words and wisdom. His writing, though, is, is, is pretty eloquent. He does this kind of double thing here at the end. He's chastising them and coming down on them, but he also kind of turns it and encourages them simultaneously. He says, here's all these things falling into the traps of the world's wisdom, but he says, but we have the mind of Christ, right? We know better, right? And he invokes Isaiah chapter 40 when he kind of asks a rhetorical question that has dual meanings. He says, who has known the Lord's mind that they may instruct him? He's basically saying, which one of you knows more than God that you can tell God what to do? Well, God, I know what your word says, but I feel like this. Paul says, who in the world are you as the creation to look at the creator and say that you messed it up, right? Paul says this multiple times in his epistles. Who are we as the clay to look up at the potter and say, why'd you make me like this? It's none of your business. He's the creator. He does what he wants to do. You know what? To say that, though, takes a posture of humility. So the first thing he meant to say was he says, who has known the Lord's mind that they can tell God what to do? None of you. The other side of this phrase, who has known the Lord's mind? You as a Christian should know the Lord's mind. Those of us that read the word of God, that pray to God, that listen to the Spirit's direction, we should know the character and nature of the God that we are following. And so though we will not be perfect in this life, we can live a life that, that, that mirrors, that lives after the mind of Christ. We can live by the wisdom of God if we desire to. And again, we're not gonna be perfect. You're gonna make mistakes. But when we have the mind of Christ, we are humble enough to say, I messed up. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And I'm gonna try to do better next time, right? That we have the mind of Christ. Who has the mind of Christ? We should have the mind of Christ. We should be thinking like him. A couple of questions, okay? The first one is this, and we have to be honest today, right? If you're new to this church, we're honest, maybe more honest than some people want. But the first question is this, by what wisdom are we living? Two paths, right? Our way, God's way. Not only does the Bible point out that the wisdom of the world is broken and destined to fail. All you have to do is just, just read history, guys. Every great empire that has ever existed has fallen, okay? Not only does the Bible make it clear that our ways always come to a, a really terrible end, all we have to do is look at the fruit of our culture right now, and it should prove that our ways don't work. Listen, you guys live in a very, very fascinating time right now. Let me tell you why. You guys right now, living in, a, in an unprecedented time, you are seeing the most prosperous, free nation that has ever existed on planet Earth go down in flames. You're watching it right now in real time. And I'm gonna tell you why that's happening. Because we have a people, as a people, have turned away from the wisdom of God and the pursuit of God, and we have pursued our wisdom. You are seeing it in real time. You're seeing it right now. So the question is this, and here's where we have to be honest. Have we gotten sucked into that rhetoric? Have we gotten pulled into that? 
That's why we do this 40-day fast every year. And that's why, in my opinion, the most important part of this 40-day fast is cutting out all the secular stuff, right? Cutting out the news, cutting out the TV shows, cutting out the radio. Cutting, that's, to me, that's the hardest part, is cutting all that stuff out, right? But let me ask you, have we gotten sidetracked into the rhetoric of society and culture? If we have, which I'm gonna dare say almost all of us in this room have, is it producing contentment in you? Is it, conducing, is, it, is it producing peace and security? When you watch Fox News or CNN or MSNBC for a couple of hours, do you just leave going, man, I feel so good. I wanna hug somebody. I wanna help people, right? No, we leave watching the news, which I call fear porn, right? We leave watching the news thinking that everyone's racist and everyone hates each other and the world is burning down and everyone's sick and dying and everyone's against each other. And, and we leave kind of sick to our, to, our, to our stomach and we don't like humanity anymore. We're skeptical of humanity. We fear each other, right? We're afraid, we're insecure. It's not just with the news though, because a lot of people aren't, you didn't get wrapped up in the news. You got wrapped up in social media. So we get on Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or whatever the heck is out there now. And the average adult now is on it two to four hours a day. And we get pulled into this rhetoric, right? That everyone's having fun except for me. Everyone's happy all the time. Everyone looks better than me and everyone's doing more than me. And everyone is always off somewhere, jet setting, doing stuff in the world. And here I am in my mundane life and it is all crap. And we have started to believe that we're somehow missing out. We've gotten sucked into the wisdom of the world and detracted from the ways of God and who we are, right? When we started comparing ourselves to each other and we started gauging our value and our worth based on how many of these we get, not by the people who are actually in our lives, right? I find it so ironic. I'll be somewhere and someone will walk up and they're like, hey, we're friends on Facebook. And I'm like, we've never met, but hi. And it's just weird to me, right? So not only, let me ask yourself, does the news and social media and the rhetoric of the world, is it making you feel better? Or let's go even further, is it honoring God? Is that a way to honor God with your time and your thoughts and your feelings and your value, right? Just asking a question, by what wisdom are we following in the world? And so let's ask this question, are we seeking for a greater wisdom? Are we looking? The deep wisdom and knowledge of God is available to anyone who desires it and wants to live by it. But again, I said it earlier, the engine starts with humility. And if we're humble, if we're humble enough to crack this thing open, to pursue the truth and to live by him, the spirit of God will not only give us guidance, it will give us guidance by two very important things, discernment and wisdom. Man, if the world needs a gift of the Spirit right now, it is the gift of wisdom. And you know what's fascinating about that? God says in the Bible that if we pray for wisdom, he will always give us wisdom. He will give us those things. And with wisdom, discernment is kind of married to that. Discernment is that feeling that God gives us when we see something and we're like, that's not right. I shouldn't be here. This isn't okay, right? This discernment, this, this compass to know which way to go but the reason why we make so many foolish decisions and the reason why we can't make good choices is when the Holy Spirit is not in us, we don't have these gifts. 
That's why we make the stupid decisions that we do. So do we have a hunger for the truth? Do we have a desire to know our creator? Do we have a desire to know where we came from, to be more intimate with God? Listen to that, God. That God gave us this book that we could know more about him, his mind, his thoughts, his nature, his character. We can do that. That when we pray, we can speak to God. So again, are we asking? Are we talking? Are we praying? Are we listening? Are we taking the time to meditate and turn off all the rhetoric of the world and listen to God? Are we reading? Are we studying? Do we have a desire to know more about our creator? And then the last thing is this. If you're in this room and you call yourself a believer, we are going to be held accountable by the knowledge we have had access to. I phrased it like that because not everyone has seized on the knowledge we have access to. But I'm gonna tell you something. If anyone in the United States comes up to me and they're just like, well, how do you think God's gonna judge people who never heard of Jesus? And I'm like, in the United States, it's a moot point. You have had nothing but opportunity in this nation. This book is readily available at every single bookstore. You can get it anywhere. Multiple translations, comic book form, read to you over your, your, your radio. You can do all kinds of things. There is no excuse in the nation we live in for someone to not pursue the truth. So none of us in this room, no, no one that's ever lived in the United States, when we stand in front of Jesus Christ and we, we, we try to plead, right, ignorance. Well, I didn't know. That was a willing ignorance. You have participated in ignorance. So how are we living out our knowledge? Though we will not be perfect in, in, until the next life, right? When God gives us a glorified body and a glorified mind. If we claim to be followers of Christ, our lives should reflect the teachings and principles of Christ. If you call yourself a Christian, you have to be following the teachings and principles of Christ. That's just how it works. So three things, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get them out of order. Let me ask you, are we living out our God-enabled potential? I'm not talking about moving up in the corporate world. I have nothing wrong with that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about making more money or being more, that's not what I'm talking about. Are we being the husbands and fathers that we're supposed to be? Well, I don't know how to do that, Corey. It's right here. It's right here. If we will do this, what this book says, if we will pray and devote ourselves to Christ, you can be the husband and father you need to be. Are we the moms and wives we need to be? Are we the students in school we need to be? Are we the citizens in our city that we need to be? Are we being what God has enabled us to be, right? That God can take a murderer like Paul and make him the most influential follower of Jesus ever. If you look up, if you study the histories of almost all of the men that wrote this book, all of them had shady pasts for the most part. All of them made mistakes. Do we believe though, if we will submit to God, we can live at a higher potential than what we're living at? To do that though, we have to, the blue part, we have to lean on him to empower us to be what we need to be. That, that God is not gonna do amazing things in our life. Listen to me, I, I want you to pay attention to this. That God will not do amazing things in your life if we are still choosing to live in sin. That we have to, we not only have to lean on his wisdom and his knowledge, we have to submit to his ways. 
So when people come up to the front and they want prayer, right? Again, I'm not trying to be a jerk today, guys, but I love you, so I'm gonna speak truth to you. When someone comes up, a, a young man and a young woman, and they're like, can you pray for our relationship? And there's been times when God has just kind of spoke a little thing in my ear and I'll say, are you guys married? No. Are you having sex right now? Well, yes. I will respond and I will say, I can pray for you all day long, but if you choose to live in sin, God's never gonna bless your relationship. Corey, that sounds really harsh. Listen, I just pull it straight from the Bible. In the book of James, it says, the prayers of righteous people are effective, which means that if we are not living righteous, our prayers are ineffective. So if we choose to live in rebellion of God, we cannot expect the blessings and guidance of God. We cannot expect to be what God wants us to be when we live in rebellion to his ways. Are we leaning on God to empower us to be what we're supposed to be? And part of that is living by the standards that he wants us to live by. You know what Jesus says in the book of John, right? And people say, people, I'm fascinated by American Christians. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So whenever someone comes up to me and they say, man, I love Jesus. Are you doing this, this, and this? Well, no. Jesus would say, you don't know what you're talking about. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then the last thing, let me ask you, can you and I say that we have the mind of Christ? I want you to think about that for a second. What does that mean? It means that we think like Jesus to the best of our abilities. That means when Jesus says, love those that hate you, do we do that? When Jesus says, pray for those that persecute you, do we do that? Let me tell you, as Christians, here we go. This is always fun. As Christians, how do we respond when the guy we didn't vote for is in office and gives a speech? Do we hate him? Do we make fun of him? Do we blatantly break Romans 13 to honor the governing authorities above us? Is that the mind of Christ? I know, man, I know people hate that when I say that kind of stuff. Listen, I didn't vote for our current president. I didn't vote for the former president. I didn't vote for the, I have never voted for a person that won. <laughs> Just to let you know, right? I have the war, if, if you find out that I voted for someone, if you're placing bets, bet on the other person. But I'm gonna tell you this, I have prayed for every single one of them. I've prayed for every single one of them. Because l let me tell you why I do that. Yeah, people hate this kind of stuff, right? But we're gonna talk about it. If you go back into church history, there's a thing called the Didache. It's, it's post the Bible. And all it was was a service order for the early churches. When you start a church, do these things, right? Things like worshiping, things like reading the Bible, things that we do. But in the Didache, do you wanna know the first thing they did in every single church service? They would pray for the Roman government. Listen, hold on a second. Let me, let, me get to, let me tell you why this is so important. They opened up every single service for praying for the pagan empire that were killing their people on a massive scale. Listen, we've never had a president that even touches the sphere of evil that the Caesars in Rome lived in, right? But they prayed for them all the time. You know what eventually happened? Through Christians being killed in the Colosseum, through Paul himself being murdered by Caesar Nero and Peter and all the other disciples for the most part, over a couple of centuries of the church constantly praying for the Roman Empire, eventually one of those Caesars became a believer. His name was Constantine. And the world was forever changed 
because a leader of the very pagan empire became a believer. What happens when we pray instead of constantly slander? It is the mind of Christ. That's not just with our government, right? And I'm not a political person. That's not just our government. That's people that we disagree with. That's people that live lifestyles that we don't agree with, that we love, right? Even those that hate us, that we pray for, even those that want to hurt us. Adopting the mind of Christ. Listen, this isn't just with other people. This is even how we think about ourselves. Young lady, you are not a commodity to every man that wants a piece of you. You are a daughter of the King of Kings, redeemed and bought with a very high price from the blood of Christ. So listen, it's not just having the mind of Christ to think of others in the way God thinks of them. It is the mind of Christ to know who you are in God, to know that you are invaluable to your creator. You are made in his image, very valuable. Do we have that mind of Christ about us? And when we understand who we are in Christ, every little bitty criticism of us and slander against us or gossip, it doesn't have to phase us because I know who I am in God. I know I cannot be evaluated by that broken system because I have submitted to a higher system, Paul says. Having the mind of Christ, do you and I think like him? Do we do our best to walk like him and talk like him and respond like him? Do we love like him, right? So last story, and I'll let you go. In Jewish times, when Jesus was walking the earth, what they would do with children is they would put them in kind of an elementary school program, very similar to what our elementary school programs would look like. But the main focus was the first five books of the Bible. Let me find those real quick. So you have the first five books of the Bible right here. And what every kid would learn until they were about 10 years old was the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. When I say learn it, they would have it memorized by age 10. So by age 10, every 10-year-old would have the first five books of the Bible set to memory. They would know it backwards and forwards, right? That's what they studied. Now, the, the best and brightest students would go on to a secondary school, and they would learn the Tanakh, that is, the 39 books of the Old Testament. Just for reference, that's this much, right? And they would have that memorized. The best and brightest by about age 15 would have the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament, memorized verbatim. Now, the best and brightest of those would be put into a rabbinical program where they would be paired up with a rabbi, a teacher, and they would follow this rabbi for 15 years until the time they were 30. And if they were a good student, they would become a rabbi. Now, when they followed their rabbi, there was a phrase that they would often use. And the phrase that they would often use is, you would know a good student if they had the dust of their rabbis all over them. That means, listen, that means that you wouldn't walk in front of your rabbi because that would be the height of arrogance to say that you know more than your teacher. You would not walk beside your rabbi because you are not equal with your teacher. You walked behind your rabbi. And the dust of your rabbi hopefully would be all over your clothes because you walk so closely to your rabbi that you hear how they speak. You hear how they interact. You hear how they, that, how they deal with other people in complicated situations. And you walk as close as you can and you'd get the dust of your rabbi all over you. So the phrase was, a good follower of the rabbi will have their dust all over them. The question is this. 
can we honestly say that we have the dust of our rabbi all over us? That we have walked as closely to Christ as possible and that we have his remnants all over us, right? To where we can go out and we can speak like our rabbi, love people like our rabbi modeled for us, that we can think of ourselves in the way that our rabbi has showed us, right? This is what we are to do with Christ to follow behind him as closely as possible. And we will never be like Christ, but we can have his mind, his, his, his nature, his character. We can start to adopt this over time, right? And honor him by how we live. The dust of your rabbi, the dust of your rabbi. Would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room, like we talked about earlier, and maybe you are not a believer, maybe you're agnostic, you're looking, but you're just not sure yet, I wanna tell you, I'm really, really glad you're here. I remember being in that position, and it's, it's a pretty exciting journey you're on. If you are on that journey, and if you have any questions for us, Pastor Greg is up here on my right, your left, okay? If you have any questions for Greg, we're not offended by questions, we love questions. Come up here, and you can talk to Greg, okay? If you need prayer for anything in your life, there are men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, it doesn't matter. Let one of these men or women pray with you, okay? The last thing is there is communion. If you're new here, all the way around the room where we see a lamp on a table, there's bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone who has accepted Christ and who has repented for their sins, you're welcome to take that communion. You can go back to your seat and you can take that by yourself, with your family, with your friends, however you decide to do that, okay? Let me pray for you, though, before you leave. Father God, I love you. All of us in this room, Lord, could stand to walk more tightly with you, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that we can humble ourselves. I pray, God, that we can submit ourselves to your ways and what you say, God. I pray, Lord, that you will create a hunger in us for truth and for you, Lord. And God, we know that if we make it more about you, God, you bless us. You take care of us, Lord. Father, keep everyone in this room safe till we meet again. Keep your hand on our families, our marriages, God, our, our, our single people in this church, whatever lot in life they may be in right now, God, keep your hand on them. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Pray all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you so much.